my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Today I'm joined by Kane Cutswell, the owner of Camera Ready Cuts. Cuts is spelled K-U-T-Z, an LGBTQ plus friendly barbershop in Brooklyn, New York. Born in Trinidad and raised in Far Rockaway, Queens, Kane is a master barber, barber coach and instructor, entrepreneur, and public speaker. Responding to the misogyny and homophobia that can permeate male-dominated barbershops, Kane created Camera Ready Cuts as a safe and welcoming space for individuals to get a haircut. Catering to the people in the community, as well as a few notable public figures, Kane and her team encouraged their clientele to engage in conversation in order to achieve the look that they desire. I discovered Kane and Camera Ready Cuts two years ago through the March 2020 New York Times article written by Aaron Randall. And I was fortunate to get a haircut from one of the barbers during my family visit this past June to New York City. I look forward to hearing about Kane's professional journey as a barber and business owner and what motivates her to go after her aspirations while finding ways to be there for others. Welcome. <laughs> How are you? I'm well. How are you? Thank you so much for joining me. It's no problem at all. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. I'm towards the end of it here in Sweden, but you're just getting your day started. Three words to describe what's going on with you so far. Thankfulness. Uh, what else? Busy <laughs> and play. Yeah. Does that mean that you have some time off? So within my work, you know, I find time to play. Work is also play for me as well. But I'm learning to um, also just do some outside play as well. It's a dream of most of us to be able to combine what we love and, and enjoy it too. As a business owner, do you have time to take off for extended vacations? You know, you have to create the time. Okay. It's, it's almost like a choice. You know, there was a time when I wasn't vacationing at all for years. And then um, like last year, I just bought a ticket to Trinidad and was like, I'm not going to let anything get in the way of, of me doing this. And I did it. You know, a lot of times we think we don't have the time, but I truly believe people make time for things that they want to make time for. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've been encouraged to slow down a little bit. <laughs> it's this thing of trying to get things off the ground, but being encouraged to like be able to step back and just kind of relax a little bit. So it's good to hear that you're doing that. Absolutely. How was Trinidad? Trinidad was great. It was good. You know, it was my first time back since my mother brought me here when I was a kid. So it was good. How old were you when you moved to the U.S.? I was pretty much still a baby. So U.S. is home. Basically, yeah. The more you talk, I hear your New York accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I had a heavy, heavy Trinidadian accent when I was young. Going to private school and having mainly white teachers, they would pretty much figuratively beat my accent out of me. Every time I would say something, I didn't realize I was saying it with an accent. 
I was just talking, <laughs> you know, as we all do. You know, if I would say tree instead of three, they would make me go in front of the class and like talk over and over and over until I said things the way that they wanted me to say it. So it was not cool. A lot of West Indian kids went through stuff like that back then. I've heard that from a couple other people I've interviewed. One guy from the Virgin Islands and a woman here, actually, I'm working with who has a publication here from Jamaica. But I love accents. Yeah. But everyone has an accent. That's the thing that's so funny. Here in America, arrogantly says that other people have accents. It's like, you have an accent as well. Just like how you said my New York accent, I developed that. It wasn't like a natural accent. I developed it. Yeah, it's just interesting to me when people do things like that. Right. Like I miss my accent. It's part of my culture. It's funny being outside of the U.S., I don't realize I don't hear American accents until I hear one. I'm like, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I didn't know until I started to do my due diligence on you that you grew up in Far Rockaway. My aunt and uncle live in Brooklyn. That's where my cousins grew up. My dad's side is from New York, and I grew up in Arizona. Mm. But I didn't realize you grew up in Far Rockaway. My cousin and I stay with whenever I visit. She lives in Far Rockaway. Oh, wow. Cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like when I came to your shop, I came straight from there. Around what area? I live like in the 40s. She is, I think, around the 20s. Oh, okay. Yeah. I used to live in the 20s when I was a kid. Okay. I love New York, and I only got really comfortable with it because, you know, growing up in Arizona and living in L.A. for years, we're not used to public transportation in the same way. But yeah. since I've been out of the U.S. mostly for the last three years and getting used to it, I was in New York and I was like, oh, I can get around here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, all that to say, I love New York. Yeah, so you're the owner of Camaretti Cuts. How long has that been in business? I've been doing this for 15 years. Okay. And I've had the business since I started, but um, I was operating it out of my apartment. So everywhere that I lived, I would turn one bedroom into a barbershop. So I was doing that on my own for about 10 years. And then I opened up the shop in late 2017. From there, that's when I started having other barbers. It was a godsend to me when I was there. I was in Maryland for a few weeks visiting family and I got my hair cut there. And I'll ask you more about what prompted you to open the shop. But my experience, as many of us experience, it's like, all right, let me psych myself up to do this. So when I was in New York and I was like, oh, wait a minute, I think there's a place here I remember reading about. It was just like night and day. So to me, it's like a godsend. So I appreciate it. Wow, that's so awesome. I love when I hear that. Yeah. What prompted you after having it in your home to open up your own shop in the city? People you say, well, when are you going to have a shop? Well, I always ran Camaretti Cuts like a actual barbershop, even if, when it was in my home. Exactly what you see in the brick and mortar shop is what was in my home, except just one station. So the retail, everything, the stations, the chair, all of that stuff. Uh-huh. And so what happened was I was a store manager for a major coffee company for about five years. And during that time, I kept hearing stories from my friends in the LGBT community about their ill treatment at neighborhood barbershops. 
being called derogatory names, being refused service, even straight women who wanted their hair cut short, being refused service, and just, you know, a whole bunch of horrible things. Gay men feeling unsafe, gay women being hit on and not wanting to be, you know, things of that nature. I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit since I was a kid and my wheels started turning and I was like, oh man, you know, maybe I can go to barber school and I can be a barber for my friends on the side. So I did that, but I should have known because I know myself. I love business so much that once I hear an idea or something, or even if it's someone else's, I can think of a whole bunch of things and marketing and all that. So I started marketing myself and, you know, there was no Instagram and stuff. I would advertise myself as, you know, LGBT barber, LGBT safe, the safe space, all those things. And nobody was really doing that at that time. Like you knew who to go to underground, like we knew who to go to, but nobody was really putting it out there. And I started doing that and words started getting around. I started putting out my pictures, I was doing a lot of designs back then as well. So And it just got really popular. And a year later, I stopped working for the coffee company and just was doing that, barbering 100%. And here we are today. Well, it goes without saying that it's a need. Absolutely. And surprising that in this day and age, there aren't more like you who have opened up spaces like this, because, you know, this has been something that we've been dealing with for forever. So one of the reasons why I was in my house I did start out in a beauty salon for like one month or less than a month. And I didn't like the questions they would ask me about my clients. So I said, I'm going to do this in my house until I'm able to create my own space with the atmosphere that's needed for the community. There were other barbers that started to come out and advertise themselves and things of that nature. So there are some that are out there. They're still not doing as much as far as advertising themselves, but they are out there and there are more known like LGBT barbershops. But I've been cleared by a few people that I can say that I was one of the first to really get out there and ring the alarm. Okay. How was it for you transitioning from going from your home to having a building that you're occupying? It was easy because my mind was already there. Everything that you see that you experienced was the same thing that I was already doing on my own. The only difference was just now having other barbers around me, training other barbers. Now I've transitioned into the coach and the person who guides and things like that. I saw you're a master barber. What exactly is that? So a master barber these days, that title honestly speaking, in my opinion, doesn't really hold a lot of weight as it should because a new barber out of barber school can take a test, which is called the master barber test. Mm -hmm. If it was me, I would rename it, but they call it the master barber test. And once you pass that, you can get a master barber license. But in my opinion, you're not a master barber. I've had a few barbers, um, you know, get upset with me, not the ones that are there now, but barbers that have been in my shop before would get angry with me because I wouldn't consider them a master barber. It's like, you just got out of barber school. You haven't even mastered doing a Caesar. Having a title to me is nothing if you're not showing the skills behind it. Mm 
You know, when I got my master barber license, I didn't even call myself a master barber for years. I let the people let me know. And so when people started saying certain things and when I started training others, that's when I started to use my master barber title. You get a lot of these barbers now straight out of barber school and they're like, I have a master barber license. And I'm like, okay, but I'm still training you. So how are you a master barber? It doesn't have the weight that it should. And most master barbers that you talk to, true master barbers, they will still say, hey, I'm still learning. We're all still learning. You're still honing your skills. There's always something new to learn. Thank you for explaining that. But it makes sense in how you explained it. Like I always wonder wherever you go, most of the time, you can sit in the chair and tell them what you need and they do it. And that has always intrigued me. So having you detail it just makes more sense. So when you were training, like getting your license, did you have to work in quote unquote traditional barbershops? So when you're in barber school, the barber school is like a barbershop setting. Okay. In barber school, you know, you can get a haircut for like $3 or whatever. We don't get that money. The school gets that money. Oh, I see. It's like a barbershop setting, but it's a school and people know that they're sitting with a student. I see. Kind of like what I've heard with dentists. If you go to the university, you can get a discounted rate because they're in school. Exactly that. Yeah. How has been the reception of the neighborhood with you opening camera ready cuts? They love it. There is a mosque right across the street and the men, everybody would just come out. And when I first opened it, because of how I made it look, mm-hmm. people would come to the door and be like, wow, we're so proud of you. This looks beautiful. Most people didn't even realize it was a barbershop because it was so clean, uh, <laughs> which is terrible. But it's part of what I'm trying to change as far as the whole barbershop atmosphere. So the neighborhood loves it. And I did that on purpose. You know, I made it look the way it looks on purpose because I get tired of when gentrification happens. All of a sudden we get all these uh, cafes and bars and things. They say that they open it up for the community. These white owners, if you were really opening something up for the community, you would have been here before the gentrification. Mm. You didn't open it for us. You opened it for the people that are moving in. So I wanted to make sure that I had something nice in a Black neighborhood to show that we can have nice things and sustain it. Yeah, I didn't realize that that's what you're doing is in some ways unique until I read the piece you were profiled in in 2019 with the Amsterdam News about that with gentrification and that you're Black owned. And like you said, you're creating this really nice space. And I'll just say to the public, yeah, I agree. When I walked in, it adds to the experience. It is decorated very nicely. Yeah. Thank you. What were you doing prior to being a barber or owning your business? I was a store manager for a major coffee company. But even before that, I had a store in the village. I make incense and things of that nature. So I had like incense and oils and African mass and African jewelry and things like that. Everything I've done has always been entrepreneurship, basically. Even being a store manager for that coffee company, it was like having my own business until I got a a district manager who was not so great. And then it started feeling like a job. You know, everything happens for a reason. It just cycled itself exactly as it should. 
I'd like to actually reiterate the importance of feeling comfortable and welcome in your place of employment. I think a lot of us in the last few years, and especially with the pandemic, or I'll say me, becoming more aware of the reality that work is a relationship too. Absolutely. All the things that you want in a healthy romantic relationship, they can transfer over to your place of employment. It's all relationships. Everything is a relationship. You know, I shared my experience in Maryland feeling not quite comfortable. Since you've opened up Camera Ready Cuts, have you had opportunities to speak with those who own those particular establishments to create dialogue to find out why that type of behavior, the misogyny, the homophobia is so prevalent? Yeah, there was actually a documentary done. I forgot the title, but it was like Being Gay in the Barbershop that a client had done. And so it was me and a few other barbershops just kind of talking about that, the whole homophobia thing in the barbershops. Mm -hmm. These conversations happen randomly. I don't talk to a lot of barbershop owners. There's a TV show. It's on YouTube right now. A friend of mine is doing, it's called Battle of the Blades. And so I'm one of the judges. Mm -hmm. It's a barbershop competition show. Mm -hmm. Through that medium, I'm able to sometimes bring up questions to these barbers, how they react to different types of clients and things of that nature. They always give great answers, of course, but you don't really know what's really going on until you're there kind of undercover. People always know what's the right thing to say. No one's going to say on camera, if a gay man sits in my seat, I don't want to touch him. <laughs> a year before I got my shop, I had moved out of my apartment in Brooklyn and moved back here in Far Rockaway. I was at my friend's shop. He had a shop around the corner. That's where I saw a lot of stuff as far as misogyny. But I also saw how it was needed. Those male-dominated barbershops are needed. Mm -hmm. It's just when the machismo gets too much, that's when it gets foul. There was a guy, he used to come in all the time. He wanted to get a haircut from me. Everyone knew, you know, my seat was like the gay seat, I guess. Now, I would say we have just as much straight clients as LGBT but when I first started, like 100% of my clients were LGBT, mm -hmm. I needed to branch out because I didn't just want to be that. I wanted to be encompassing for everybody. So anyways, this cat, like he was reluctant. And I was like, dude, the gay is not going to transfer onto you. You can have a seat in my chair, you know? And he started laughing. He sat down. But it was just so interesting. He felt like if he sat in my seat, people would think he was gay. Wow. Okay. Yes. It was just like getting through those little things. I get through it with comedy because I like to be funny, but I'm serious at the same time. But what's interesting now is that when I put the gay flag out on the shop, because I was trying to stay away from doing all those things because I don't like to have to do that. It reminds me of Jim Crow days, whites only, colored only. I don't want to have to say gay friendly we should just be friendly. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to put a gay flag out. Every place should be safe. But I did it because these are the times we're in. And what I realized is that, wow, like a lot of straight people were coming in even more 
And I was asking questions and one person was like, well, we saw the gay flag. And so we knew that this was a welcoming or safe space. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how the gay flag became more of a symbol to straight people and families that they can bring their children and they can bring their relatives here. They wouldn't have to experience whatever they experienced at the neighborhood barbershops. So I hadn't thought of especially straighten in, because sometimes you just want to get a haircut. You don't want to participate in all the stuff. Yeah. It's like, I just got off work. I just want to get my haircut. I don't mind idle chit-chat. I mean, I'm coming from a gay perspective, of course, but it's like, it can feel so aggressive. Yeah. Or if you don't participate in it, that's when people start to question you, like, well, what's wrong with you? I've had a lot of teenage boys, especially when I was in my apartment. I always ask people how they found a shop and they found the shop on their own. I'm upstairs. I'm on the second floor. And I would ask them, you know, like what made them come here? And they're like, they don't feel comfortable at the neighborhood shops. They're not gay. They're straight teenagers. They felt like they had to put on something extra in order to go there. That's really when I realized, oh, this is not just a LGBT issue. This is just a people issue. We have gentle humans who don't always want the rah-rah. They want to feel welcome. You could walk into a neighborhood barbershop and they could be not homophobic or anything, right? Mm -hmm. But the atmosphere and the culture in these neighborhood barbershops, it's like you walk in and no one talks to you. So already you're feeling intimidated because no one's greeting you. No one's saying hi. No one is finding out what you need. It's not being treated like a business. When you go into any business, someone is going to greet you. Hey, hi, what can we get for you? What are we doing for you? You're not going to be refused service. If you want a latte, you're going to get a latte. You're not going to get a black coffee because someone thinks you should get a black coffee. But in a barbershop, the way the atmosphere is, it's a free-for-all. No one has to talk to you. You sit in a seat. You could tell the barber you want one thing and the barber will give you something different or not even ask you how you want certain things done. So for me, not only the LGBT issue as far as barbershops, but the whole aspect of it's a business, your personal opinions about certain things don't belong there. Barbershops don't get the same scrutiny as other businesses where people will write reviews or boycott. Barbershops just seem to have skated under the radar of all of that. I think if they were subject to that and if people complained a lot more and a lot loudly, they would start to treat it more like an actual business with standards and practices. Thank you for saying that. I thought it was just me. Even here in Europe and Sweden, and I've been in the UK, I go in and it's like, I've never been here before. And it's like, should I sit down? Should I let you know? <laughs> <laughs> I called ahead right. of time. I don't know what to do. I always thought because I'm more quiet, I was like, well, maybe it's I have to have a certain type of bravado. But like you said, it's a business. Somebody should be turning and say, oh, welcome. Do you have an appointment? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> At my shop, you will get greeted in and greeted out by almost every barber in the shop. It's the kind of atmosphere that's created. It's on purpose. It's all just that business culture and professionalism, treating people how you would want to be treated. Well, I concur. You weren't there when I went. Yeah, 
the greeting when I left. It's like you got a cute haircut, you're walking out, just like it just kind of adds more of a bounce to your step. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's like, see you next time. Yeah. 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 I just love that you shared that because I've wondered that for years. I just always put it on me, like, oh, it must be something wrong with me. Mm-mm. No, it's barbershop culture that has been able to be that way for years and it's time to stop. Like I wish there was some sort of association because I definitely would want to be like, hey, this is what we need to do to be taken seriously. And then we wonder during the pandemic why it was so hard for us to get monies. If we're not taking our businesses seriously, no one else is. Mm. You mentioned having more straight clients coming in and you know just making it a welcoming space for everyone. But I was surprised, but pleasantly surprised when I came in because when I chose the barber, I just saw the hair more than the actual image. So when I came in, I was like, oh, this is a multicultural environment too. Mm-hmm. So was that intentional on your end? Almost everything I do is intentional, especially when it comes to business and camera ready cuts. It's not that I went out looking for, okay, I want a Latinx barber, I want this or that, but I'm very much about energy. Mm. And they came to me. Each barber has a unique story about how they became a barber at Camera Ready Cuts. Mm-hmm. I've been thankful. I've had so many different types of barbers, different color, different backgrounds, different gender identities. I've had straight men, straight women. I've had all sorts of people in the shop. I want everyone to feel seen and everyone to feel they belong there. Mm. I've got trans barbers. Like I said, it's not that I searched for it. They found themselves there or I found them. We found each other. It reiterated for me too, kind of like church, that those spaces are very segregated as far as ethnicity and race. And so mm. it's kind of like walking into another universe. And so when I walked in, it was like, oh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And what's interesting is that there are a few white queer barbershops, right? I'm just going to be frank. A couple of them contacted me some time ago asking me to come in and teach them how to cut black hair. Their reason was because they started having more black people coming into their shops. And I was just like, so you think that I can come in in one day in a couple of hours? Oh, just one day. Basically that I can teach you in a couple of hours how to cut black hair. At my shop, my barbers can cut everyone's hair, every hair texture. It's not black hair, straight hair, curly hair. How come my barbers can do that? And you, to be an open, welcoming LGBT barbershop, you have all white barbers. You don't know how to cut coarse hair. You didn't learn how to do that? Or you didn't think to learn how to do that because you assumed that you'd only have white clients. And I kind of said it in that way. Why don't you hire a black barber? Like there's so many different things. Like I can't teach you this in two hours. We have complexities with our texture as well. Mm -hmm. And it's going to cost you a lot of money if you want me to teach you how to do this. Because now you want me to teach you how to take my business, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I mean, if I wanted to think of it like that, I mean, there's enough for all of us. It just was interesting to me that these places, they're calling themselves open and all that and not realizing that 
they are also participating in this sort of segregated thing because as people of color, we don't have the luxury of just doing for us. We have to know how to do for everyone, Mm -hmm. but they have the luxury of just all we know how to do is cut straight hair at my shop. That's why I make sure that every barber, I don't care what your ethnicity is. You need to know how to cut all hair. It's not just black hair, same as white hair. Cause I didn't know for years, like I remember a coworker, she's Jewish, but she always had straight hair, but just one particular time it was really straight. And I was like, oh, your hair is different. And she whispered like, oh, I just got a new relaxer. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I never thought of that. Exactly. <laughs> Reminder to me, hey, all this hair I see out and about may not be how it grew out of their head. So, <laughs> Right, exactly. We've talked a lot about the male-dominated spaces. How is it, like, say, at a female-dominated, like a salon, a hair salon? Same thing. Similar things. If you are, let's say, a more male-centered female, like myself, and you go in and you want a shortcut, same thing. Why you want to cut your hair? You get questioned. I hear it all the time. You still don't get the kind of haircut you want, or there's an uncomfortable feeling sitting there. I haven't heard of if gay men go to salons feeling uncomfortable, but definitely female bodied people definitely feel a little uncomfortable at salons. Even some straight women as well, like, because at a salon, they don't know how to do barber things. It makes sense that they may not do the cut the same exact way. That's just job semantics, right? But as far as the atmosphere goes, Yeah, you still kind of get that whole thing of why do you want it so short? You may want it to look a little bit more male and they'll still do something that's a little more feminine, Mm. but it's not as much of a deal as the more male-centered shops. I mean, I've been to a couple when I was living in LA. I just felt like I was an interloper (laughs) as a man. Right. And I respected that, but I never thought about until later like there's gender policing there too absolutely yeah (laughs) yeah it's a lot of interesting for me even after this call questions to ask myself just about how your space is just a really unique one because it's just so fluid and fluid is a good word it's not a bad word (laughs) yeah that's the perfect word for it Do you have plans of opening up shops in other parts of the city or outside of New York? I did have plans on that. If you've seen the space, it's really two spaces. So we started on the other side. My landlord, he had the space next door and he was like, can you just put something there like a cafe or whatever? Because he liked what I was doing on the other side. I just was ignoring him. So I said, fine, I'll just extend the barbershop because we were growing anyway. So I broke out the wall and now it's like the two spaces. Mm-hmm. But that money was supposed to be for a whole nother shop. I see. But I'm glad that I did that because the pandemic happened and we were able to really maneuver very easily as far as having the client space and stuff like that. Everything happens for a reason. I started giving up the idea of opening another space only because I didn't know if stretching would water it down. I'm open to the idea. It's just that the way that things are going now, we're more now into the TV film and Broadway. I'm prepping barbers to do things of that nature. 
so it's kind of steered away from my plan of opening another location, but I think there might be another location in the works. I wanted to do one in Trinidad. I'm not sure about that now. Okay. That was one of my plans. If not, it'll definitely be somewhere in the U.S. I mean, we could definitely use them over here. <laughs> I think it's universal and needing spaces that are welcoming and safe. Yeah, of course. But I think the welcoming part of it, because when you mentioned earlier about how everyone greets you when you come in, mm-hmm. that's like water in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> really That is. one little thing. So with working with people in the entertainment industry, does that give you opportunities to travel to different locations? Most definitely. Now I want to start traveling uh, out of the country. I think something sort of like that might be in the wings. I'm not sure. But it's enabled me to meet a lot of different people. It's given me the chance to offer my barbers new experiences. That's my main thing. I'm glad to be able to share with them and for them to like, you know, be able to cut people who are legendary famous and people who are on the come up to being famous just to be a part of different shows, which is really cool. That part of it, I really, really love. I want to be able to sit back one day and just be able to send all of my barbers out on all these different wonderful experiences and shows and to know that I carved this way to do that. So I'm always trying to make sure that I keep my reputation on a hundred because that's what enables me to be able to bring them in and then make sure that they keep their reputation on a hundred. Yeah, very much so. Could you have envisioned all of this happening when you were just starting out? No, I envisioned things. I had ideas, right? But I didn't know how they would play out. I didn't know how the plan was going to go, but I did have an outline. Okay. Yeah. I had an outline and then the universe took it and did what it needed to do with it. I get a sense from you that you're good with positive energy transference. I can see how this is helping you to grow and to expand in all these different arenas. Congratulations. Thank you. And I thank you so much for being a part of this community. All right. Congratulations to you on that too. This has been an opportunity for me to grow and to expand and to learn and and to connect. I feel like Solange's album, A Seat at the Table, when her mom talked about, I love Black people. And I love that even more meeting people like you, the range and the diversity and the joy that we all have. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, do you have any final thoughts or comments? Just, you know, whatever it is that your heart is telling you to do, As far as moving forward and moving upward, what's for the highest good of your destiny to do it? Even if you do it for just a week, there are a lot of things that I've done that wouldn't be considered successes to most people, but it's a success for me because it's out of my brain and it became reality in some sort of way for some sort of time. Mm. So I don't have to go to my grave saying I shoulda, woulda, coulda, wish I did. Mm -hmm. I've tried just about everything that I've wanted to in my mind. So for me, that's more success. Something sticks, something doesn't, but I did it, right? 
Thank you. That's good words of wisdom. So I thankfully have the recording so I can <laughs> share that with myself. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So where can we engage with you online? At Kane Cutswell, K-H-A-N-E-K-U-T-Z-W-E-L-L. That's on all platforms. And at Camera Ready Cuts, Camera Ready, K-U-T-Z on all platforms. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time.